It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right, and welcome to Fast Break Breakfast NBA Podcast. My name is Keith, here alone for a solo interview episode. Chuck and John will be back next week. The NBA season is coming soon. It's kind of amazing. We're already going to have to jump into our butter or worse, butter or parquet previews, and then the highly anticipated make yourself tons and tons of money at mybookie.ag over under show where we will give you all kinds of winners we have an incredible record over the three years of doing the podcast so hey if you like to gamble get ready that over under show will be out before you know it if you want more fast break breakfast you can get that at patreon.com slash fast break breakfast we just put up an extra audio clip, a bonus story for the $5 and up crowd. We try to get those out every few weeks, every couple weeks. Once the season starts, when John, Chuck, and I are together a little bit more, that'll be easier to get you some of that bonus content. Also, we're signing up for our fantasy basketball leagues. going to have a regular multiple head-to-head leagues. And then the International Stackhouse of Pancakes Super League. Uh, that's for the $4 tier, and if you join that, you get all the tiers uh, below it. So you get to join that Slack chat where we talk about movies and television and basketball and whatever else happens around the clock. John and Chuck are very active on that, as am I. So if that sounds like something you would like to do and you want to support our show financially, you can do all that at patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. My guest today covers the Suns for Sports 360 Arizona and is a co-host of the very well-named Suns podcast, The Solar Panel, and a return guest, Mr. Greg Esposito. Greg, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Man, I'm, I'm doing great. Have you had any uh, dry, plain pancakes recently? I, I did a couple <laughs> days ago. They nice. were fantastic. Greg, uh, who last time horrified me with the news that he likes his pancakes plain. No butter, no syrup. And sometimes gluten-free, so there's another thing to horrify you with. I don't... I hear horror stories of gluten-free, but I don't even know if I've ever had a gluten-free product, like a bread product that was supposed to be gluten-free, so I can't speak to the horrors. I've just, I guess, I've overheard them. Can Consider yourself lucky. I do. Blessed every day. Uh, did you have a breakfast this morning? I have not. I actually have only been up for 10 minutes. So I uh, I went to the U2 concert in Phoenix uh, last night and did not get home until 1 a.m. So I'm uh, operating on very little sleep, but I'm still here for you. Well, I appreciate- That's how dedicated I am. Man, I love it. I appreciate you carving out time, especially after the big U2 concert. Were any, uh, were any sons on stage? 
Do we see Jared Dudley with like a Bono jersey or the, maybe an Edge customized jersey? No, there was no no sons there. I think it's because they're so young they don't know who U2 is. I was about to say, who am I? Like maybe Tyson Chandler? Is Tyson Chandler a U2 fan? Yeah, maybe. I guess Tyson's probably the... Uh, the one that's closest to my age there so he might know uh he might know you too but i'm pretty sure like half these guys weren't even born uh, uh within five years of when the joshua tree album came out so so yeah. they probably wouldn't have any clue yeah that's probably incredibly correct so the Suns, as you say very young team you guys have been bandying out this catchphrase the timeline I'm a, you know, I'm a big NBA fan. I follow the NBA a lot. I'm on NBA Twitter all the time. I don't actually know what the timeline means. To me, it seems like the Asylum Films knockoff of Philadelphia's The Process. So what is the timeline? Look, I understand that it looks like the, the Walmart version to Philly's Nordstrom, The Process, but it actually came about naturally. I promise you. It was something that uh, the front office kept saying and, and the coaching staff kept saying in interviews when referring the, to the roster and kind of the plan on on building things and, and why things were happening. They'd say uh, it, it's all about finding the fit for the timeline and, uh, and they just bring up that phrase. So uh, I simply weaponized it by making it a hashtag that was that was the whole story behind it there was no brilliant epiphany there was no hey let's knock off philadelphia it was something that came about pretty naturally and fans started just talking about well does this guy fit into the the timeline that they're trying to win in does does eric bletz was he too old to be in the timeline that they're hoping to be championship contenders so it really was that simple. There was nothing nefarious to try to try, try to rip off Philly because honestly, I don't really want to be like Philadelphia. If I can avoid being like Philadelphia, I'm happy to. The only thing that I'm I'm happily connected to the the Sixers and their fans about is Charles Barkley, simply because they in in the early '90s let the sun screw them over in a crappy deal to get Charles Barkley and make my childhood that much more fun. So what isn't the timeline though? Anytime you get these slogan catchphrases, it uses fans use it as like a catch all kind of excuse for anything that might happen. And a lot of times they're able to twist the narrative to fit that slogan. One example in my mind being, it seems like the Suns keep trying to offer big contracts to free agents who, in my mind, don't fit the timeline. And then when they don't get a Paul Millsap to sign, they're like, oh, well, you guys, don't worry. The timeline. <laughs> I Well, first off, we all have Stockholm Syndrome. We're simply trying to find anything we can hold on to to keep us sane. So the timeline and those excuses are, are simply just to rationalize how we still root for a team who's in the longest playoff drought in their history with no end really in sight. That's what it comes down to is, is simply that. Uh, really, if, if you want to know what the, the, the truth about those meetings with those free agents, I don't think that Ryan McDonough and the front office ever really thought they had much of a chance with a LeBron when they met with him a handful of years ago 
LaMarcus Aldridge, uh, Paul Millsap, Blake Griffin, whatever the, the name of the summer that comes up. I, I think they were simply doing it to try to show uh, ownership. And Robert Sarver, who has admittedly not been the most patient of, of people, uh, basically to show them, hey, look, we're, we're trying to do something big when all along – I'm pretty sure this is the way that Ryan McDonough wanted to build. The The worst thing that happened to Ryan McDonough and his plan for this team was that fluke 48-win season when they had uh, Gordon Dragic and Eric Bledsoe and Channing Fry. That roster was built to fail, and somehow the chemistry of it helped it succeed. And that first year and that early success – really just undid what Ryan McDonough's plan was. It was it was the the undoing of Jeff Hornacek as head coach. The poor guy came in thinking he was going to build for the future and build through youth. He gets thrown in, and they have this immense success in season one, and then it's, well, how do we build on this? Oh, let's get Isaiah Thomas because we can get him on a – really great contract and maybe we can figure it out because analytics show he's a great guy and it just became this muddled mess and and it really I don't think ever was the plan and now I think Ryan McDonough with a little luck because obviously landing Devin Booker a guy who has in my mind superstar potential at least offensively uh with with the 13th pick in a draft was luck but that then put them in a position where they went, okay, well, we have that first real solid piece to the future. We can now tank and try to add a few more, and that's where we are now. They've, they've made, made that effort, and now we're, now we're in the midst of it. All right? I think we're one more, one more losing season in Phoenix before it's, all right, they have the core to really win. Maybe they cash in some of their assets for a bigger name at that point, like we saw Minnesota do this past summer with Jimmy Butler, and they take that next step. But really, yeah, the timeline sounds like a catch-all, uh, an excuse at times, but I really feel like this was Ryan McDonough's plan all along was to, was to try to build this kind of way and accumulate as many uh, quality young players and draft picks as possible. I hear what you're saying, but... I also heard you say somehow that signing Isaiah Thomas to a really cheap team-friendly contract w- was a mistake in the building of this team. The mistake well, was getting rid of Isaiah Thomas and then trading away the, the Lakers pick for Brandon Knight. I don't think those were a result of the team winning 48 games. Well, no. The the result was, uh, was signing of winning 48 games was... A, a reaction by signing Isaiah Thomas when he already had two point guards on the roster. Three all-star caliber point guards on a roster makes absolutely no sense. Sure. No, no matter how team-friendly a contract is, that causes chemistry issues. And analytics-wise, it may look brilliant, but when you get into the human side of basketball, it doesn't work. And that's where that's where the problem was which then caused all sorts of stress, and it caused uh, who a, a great guy in Goran Dragic to act completely out of character in demanding a trade. Uh, it caused 
weird you know divisiveness in the locker room uh it was just it, it caused all sorts of angst when you had a team that was really the the previous year one of the best locker rooms uh, you had seen one of the best chemistry kind of teams you had seen really what they should have done was taken the money that they signed Isaiah Thomas to and just given the Channing Fry the money he wanted and they probably would have continued to have success because Channing Fry was the linchpin to to that locker room and look at his arrival in Cleveland a few years ago it changed the locker room dynamic there too that was the mistake you sign Isaiah Thomas, it creates a domino effect because of lack of minutes for each of these point guards. It causes frustration. It tears down the the chemistry that you built, and it erodes everything. And you have a, a bad season the, the year after the 48 wins, and then a terrible season uh, after you make all those trades, and you wind up with what I feel was kind of a knee-jerk reaction in, in – landing Brandon Knight in that chaos. you got to remember that trade deadline when they dealt uh, Goran Dragic and Isaiah Thomas, they dealt over a third of their roster in the last five minutes of a trade deadline. And uh, and I, I got to think, yes, they, they liked Brandon Knight, but I feel like it was kind of a panic move to where it was, well, we've got to replace we've got to replace you know both of these point guards. We need another solid guy. And Brandon Knight's available. Let's get him. So we have a name that we get out of uh, out of all this. You know, and that's that's really how how it played out in the end. Yeah, I think if we're creating alternate reality timelines, not to overuse the word, uh, <laughs> I think instead of re-signing Channing Fry, I might go the route of go ahead and do what you did, sign Isaiah Thomas to cheap. Trade Goran Dragic because that was a great trade. They got a fantastic return from Miami as far as the future draft picks. And then just not trade for Brandon Knight. In that scenario, you have the Lakers pick. You'll have these Miami picks. You'll still have Isaiah Thomas. Of course, I guess in that reality, you guys probably don't end up with Tyler Eulis. So that is, I guess, the big drawback there. Um, You said that uh, there's probably another year of losing. That's kind of my question for the outlook of this team this year, is it another tank season? What, what are the team goals for this upcoming season? Nobody in the core get hurt and it's a success, I think is really what we're talking about with it. And, and losing is just going to, going to be something that that's going to happen. These young guys still have to learn how to win. And if, if they wind up as a team that surprises but is the 11th best team in the West, it's the worst-case scenario because then you're getting not a great lottery pick. It doesn't really help uh, in the long run. It does. It's not a great asset to try to make a trade with. This is another top-heavy draft. So I think you're going to see a team that's, that's around the bottom of the Western Conference again, and you hope that Devin Booker takes another step and that – uh, Marquise Chris figures out who he is and Dragon Bender uh, with some minutes actually on the floor this year shows the promise that you actually hope and Tyler Eulis when he's finally back from being uh, from recovering from his ankle surgery continues to develop as your backup point guard that's that's really what this season is, is about it's not about wins 
and losses as much as, as seeing growth. And I know that's a terrible thing to, to look at because it, it's it basically saying, well, the games don't matter. And, and that's never what you want out of the athletic process. But look, I've been a Suns fan since 1988, as long as I've been able to remember, uh, you know, being not knowing about sports. And the thing is, for this entire franchise's history, and this is their 50th year they're celebrating this year, it's always been good but not good enough. It's been uh, reload, don't rebuild. And, you know, making the playoffs all those years was great. But in the end, if you don't have a championship, what the heck difference does it make? That's why I'm okay with losing if it's legitimately trying to build a, a championship caliber roster and build it uh, what is, I, I feel, the right way in today's NBA to do it in, in trying to build homegrown uh, talent. Because, you know, as much as Phoenix is a, a major media market, it's still a mid a mid a mid sized market. It's not a major player. It's not a New York. It's not an L A. It's not even a Houston really in attracting people. So you're going to have to build it from within. And we've seen we've seen the attempts to do it other ways not bear fruit. I just I'm okay with a handful of losing seasons and and not making the playoffs if there is a greater purpose that that you you're hopefully building towards in the end. So you say if the Suns finish best case scenario, like 11th in the West, and that's a bad result because of the resulting loss of a high lottery pick of sliding down in that lottery. But do you have concerns that this year seems like it's going to be really hard to tank because there's so many bad teams. The bottom of the East is abysmal. And if the Suns, you know, if the Suns are trotting out lineups, of Eric Bledsoe, Devin Booker, like Josh Jackson, Jared Dudley, Tyson Chandler, that's a pretty decent-ish lineup. Like that lineup is better than a lot of the Eastern Conference teams, and especially with guys like TJ Warren, Alan Williams coming off the bench, who look to be like their positive contributors in the NBA. It seems like they're going to win too many games. In my, am I looking at the team in September, looking like they might win too many games? to get one of those top three draft picks. Cause again, like it's going to be tough to catch the bulls. Uh, and I think that the Suns have a lot more talent than like the nets or I don't know, even the Hawks who I think the Hawks are kind of secretly going to win, you know, like upper twenties or something. So do you think they're going to start resting players or do you think that's going to be a problem if they, if they end up like looking like they're going to win 30 something games? Now nah, look, see, they've got a secret weapon that, that those teams you're talking about, don't have and is that the um, fact <laughs> i was gonna guess is that are those minutes for marquise chris no well that's part <laughs> of it probably but no it's the fact that they play in the western conference yeah and they are they are obviously the worst team in the western conference i don't think there's a debate about that yeah i mean if the kings the kings have the potential to extremely implode but even then i still think the suns are, are the worst team in the western conference and they're going to play you know, more games against the Western conference, obviously than they are the Eastern conference. So, and then inevitably I, I don't see major minutes for Tyson Chandler on this roster. Mm -hmm. They are, especially if Alex Len signs his qualifying offer, they're going to play Alex Len to either try to deal him or figure out uh, if they want to try to 
reach some kind of agreement next off season. They just paid Allen Williams. You're not going to just let him ride the bench and be the raw, raw bench guy after he proved he can, he has talent as well and just needs some, some developing. So, uh, you know, Eric Bledsoe is the wild card. And I wonder if this is finally the year that they pull the trigger on dealing him. I'd hate to see it because I really like the guy. I think he's an all-star uh, quality caliber point guard. And, and I think he's the lost I've, I've written about this before on sports 360 AZ, but I really think he's kind of the lost Suns point guard. The, the Suns franchise history is all about, you know, great point guards. If you look back and, and that's really been their position of strength throughout the five decades that they've been around. And if you look at Eric Bledsoe's statistics and what he's done on the court, he's actually been one of one of those uh, really good point guards the Suns have had. The fact that he's played in the worst stretch in Suns history, he's not going to get any any recognition for it. But I think this might be finally the year that they just pull the trigger on dealing him simply because that helps serve the purpose of of trying to land another high draft pick uh, in this year's draft. And then I think you'll finally see the losing on purpose, the tanking, whatever you want to want to call it kind of subside in Phoenix. But I don't see that. I just don't see them playing Tyson Chandler and I could easily see them finally just pulling the trigger on an, on an Eric Bledsoe move because it just serves, it serves the future better than, than winning 30 games this year. What is the smallest return you would you could talk yourself into for Eric Bledsoe where you could pitch that as being a good part of the timeline? Uh, I think it would have to be a quality first-round pick or a, a really quality young uh, young player. I, I don't think you can give him away for peanuts and try to, try to go, well, look, it, it serves a, a greater purpose. You no, know, you have to get a good return because he really could help a, a title contender he could help a fringe team that that's uh, on the edge of the playoffs that that's going to trying to make that next uh, next step. Uh, he's a guy that can have a major impact wherever he goes. So you can't just give him away. That would uh, you can't just wind up with well, we got a, a low first round pick and a contract we're going to buy out, but we really feel that this was the right move for the team. That that would be an awful, awful move. So I think you got to get young quality talent or, or a high first round pick or some combination of good young talent and, and a lower first round pick to really be able to sell this. Yeah. I'm trying to think of potential landing spots and I don't know what teams are prepared to pay that price with, you know, knowing, I don't know, having a good point guard versus the hope they can sell uh, to their fans with a high draft pick, like maybe maybe you could swindle the Knicks because the Knicks have a, a a gaping void at at guard. Like maybe maybe the Knicks could hook you up with something. But I think that's, a, that's an interesting thing to to consider. Just how much can the Suns get for him? Because we're not seeing like you know we're seeing all star. We're seeing Paul George, Jimmy Butler, and Demarcus Cousins not getting traded for really high draft picks. So it'll be interesting and I guess difficult for that front office, the Suns front office, to figure out what an acceptable return is going to be. Um, Here, look- here's what I, I have one for you. Yeah, what is and, it? And it could be 
a desperate move. At some point, I think you could see the Cavs realize that Isaiah Thomas's hip injury is much worse mm-hmm. than they uh, than they realize, and they could wind up flipping that pick because we've already heard rumors that they're they're interested in moving that Nets pick that they have. You could wind up seeing the Cavs being an Eric Bledsoe destination at, at some point with that pick involved because. He's he's friends with LeBron. He has uh, the same agent uh, as LeBron. It could be one of those. Let's try one last ditch effort to try to appease the king to see if he'll he'll stay in Cleveland before uh, before Armageddon next summer. I think that would be a very interesting decision. I, I'd be excited about it as, as an NBA fan, as someone with no skin in the game for the Cavs. Like, I don't care if they mortgage their future for a couple years of Eric Bledsoe. It'd be fun to watch Eric Bledsoe finally get in the playoffs. That's something, like, he he was a, I know he wrecked my Memphis Grizzlies when he was a backup for the Clippers years ago, but now that he's become more of a lead guard, yeah, I would definitely be excited to see him get some more, some more meaningful basketball minutes. A couple of the young guys on the Suns, uh, Marquis Chris, he last year led the NBA in missed dunks. He set a record for the worst percentage on dunks. He only made 79% of his dunks. Uh, That's the worst percentage in in basketball reference history for anyone to attempt 100 dunks. Do you have any idea if he has spent his offseason maybe choosing when and when not to attempt a dunk? Because there's an incredible YouTube compilation of all his missed dunks. And these aren't him hitting the rim, you know, when he's wide open. These are him trying to catch alley-oops that are poorly thrown, him trying to dunk over several people. Uh, do you have any idea if one of the things he's working on this offseason is knowing to, hey, maybe just catch the pass and then lay the ball in? Well, if, if you watched Summer League, I think he's working on having a body where he's not quite able to dunk anymore because he had <laughs> added like 20 pounds and didn't look athletic anymore, which is a scary thought because all he had last year was his athleticism. It wasn't like he was a, a great threat in any other way. So I'm a little concerned about that. They claimed it was the old, he added 15 to 20 pounds of muscle kind of, uh, kind of thing. I, it may be kind of the 15 to 20 pounds that I've added since, uh, since my, I had a daughter last October where it's, it's certainly not muscle. I'll tell you that much. So I, I, I'm concerned, more concerned about how does he come in to training camp? How does he physically look? Is he still the athletic uh, guy? Now we all know he needed to add a little bit more a uh, bulk because he was very skinny he turned sideways. You couldn't see him anymore, but he had gone too far the other direction in summer league and it really hurt his game which which becomes quite concerning for for his second year and what that development's going to look like he was a bit of fool's gold if you just kind of looked at his at his uh statistics last year you thought oh pretty good rookie year for this guy and then the eye test you go no this guy's still got a long way to go it's really really raw and i still actually am a believer that Dragon Bender has the greater potential out of the two of them and uh and his ceiling's higher where Marquise Chris just happened to be starting from uh, from a little bit uh, higher level coming in but I don't think his ceiling is quite as high as Dragon Bender so they got a lot to figure out with with those uh both of those guys but in particular 
can Chris uh, still be athletic but get smarter in his game as well? Yeah, I know they're both super young. Marquis Chris, obviously, well, he's, I don't know if he's still 19 or 20. He is, he seems to lack feel, like basketball feel when I watch him play. It's like, this guy doesn't quite, I don't know if he just understands like how he slides into a game. Like he, he reminds me, unfortunately, of like a, a, a more athletic Kwame Brown, where Kwame Brown was <laughs> trying was trying really hard. But you're like, he just doesn't have, yeah, he doesn't quite, he doesn't have to feel or he knows what's going on. And then like Dragon Bender, who seems like he has, like he seems comfortable on the court. And maybe it is just a matter of him getting comfortable with his shot and his jumper. I don't know what's lacking for him. But then Dragon Bender, I'm concerned, he seems to be maybe the one that's more buried on the bench because it seems like in, in quotes that I hear from other players, it sounds like Marquise is kind of the starter or the guy who's ahead of Dragon Bender. So is one of the goals, I guess, of the season to just figure out what you have in those two guys? And, and Greg, what, what do you think the odds are even come next offseason the Suns are certain which one of those guys, or if it's going to be both of them, are going to be building blocks for the future? Oh, I, you certainly have to figure out what you have in those guys. And I think it's going to take a little longer to understand what what Bender is in the NBA. He's still, uh, last year was the youngest player in the NBA. He's still one of the youngest players in the NBA. I think he'll just turn 19 uh, around the start of the season. And he's he's just a guy that uh, that has kind of that feel and that intellectual part, but he's kind of lacking the the physical side right now. It, it, honestly, if you could smash these two guys together and make one player, you probably have a, a, a amazing, unbelievable talent because they they have what the other one's lacking. Ironically enough, but uh, yeah, you got to figure out uh, at least start to understand what you have in both of them, but I don't think you're going to have the answer by this offseason. I think you'll be a little clearer on Marquis Chris and if he shows the growth that, that he needs to, but I think Bender's going to take much longer to figure out, and what your hope has to be for him is he just becomes a productive rotation player this year after missing most of his rookie year with, with injury, so uh, that's that's going to be a huge question, and there's no guarantee either of those guys are definitely uh, a major piece of the future. Right now, it's it, it Booker and Jackson are locked in as what you assume are your two key building blocks, and then it's a free-for-all for, for everything else. All right, so wrapping up, uh, what with Booker and Jackson, I assume they're part of maybe the most exciting lineup the Suns can put out there. What what's the what's the lineup you're most looking forward to this season for the Suns? That's that's a tough one because it'd probably be random, quite frankly. It'd probably be something like Bledsoe, Booker, Jackson, Marquise, and Bender uh, all on the uh, on the court at the same time, and just kind of experimenting just going with crazy crazy things i'd i'd love to see maybe a, a lineup where you go you know booker handling the ball with jackson at the two a warren at the three and then some combination of of chris bender and and williams or something just just experiment with things with the with these young guys and figure out are there a lot of interchangeable pieces here can you can you come up with some creative lineups that'll cause problems 
uh, matchup problems for your opponents because you have versatile guys. You have guys that in theory can probably play a lot of different positions. So why not experiment with it and, and understand it? The, the worst thing I could see is a lineup where you're trotting out the, the conventional kind of thing and, and you have Tyson Chandler playing your center spot and, and Jared Dudley somehow is, is your power forward and, and you're, you're just going – uh, the normal kind of way they started last season, that serves no purpose. It, it serves no master right now, other than if Earl Watson feels like he has to try to win games to uh, to solidify his spot as head coach. But I think everybody is pretty realistic with, with what's going on here. So figure it out. Figure out what you have. And if if you can, come up with some lineup of death that, that just uh, – can can cause such awful matchup problems for opponents that they can't can't figure out how to quite deal with it in the long run. All right, la- last question. Devin Booker, Marquise Chris are actually two of my least favorite players in the NBA. TJ Warren and Allen Williams, I adore them. So Josh Jackson, try to guess for me, Greg, wh- which which camp is he going to fall in for me as a vaguely neutral NBA observer? Well, first off. You're completely wrong about Devin Booker. I don't care what your <laughs> argument is. It probably involves analytics and the defensive side of the ball. And I'm telling you, if you watch this guy, if you're around him at all, he is the real deal. Offensively, he is like n- nobody we've seen in a Suns uniform. Uh, off the court, he has the charisma and the attitude and the mindset to be a superstar. He is the real deal. Now, as for Josh Jackson and what camp he'll fall in, if you're a TJ Warren fan, he will likely fall in the camp of you don't like him simply because he's going to take TJ Warren's uh, starting job at some point. And I think it probably happens by, by the season opener, quite frankly. TJ Warren's destiny, in my mind, is as a great sixth man who can score uh, efficiently and impressively off a bench. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. In the NBA, guys have such a hard time accepting that role. We saw it with uh, who I like to call the walking dead, Brandon Knight, yeah. last year with uh, with the Suns, where he just couldn't accept that role. And I don't understand it because you can make a very, very good living as a sixth man and have a huge impact uh, and, and important minutes in the NBA, if you can be that quality scoring punch off the bench. And heck, you can even be out there in crunch time at the end of the game, which is much more important than who starts the damn game. So I think that's I think that's TJ Warren's destiny. Whether he accepts it or not is the big question mark. And if he doesn't, I don't think he'll return to the Suns next summer. I think he'll go in search of, of a starting job. But man, I think they could be something special with uh, with Jackson as your starter at the small forward, and then T.J. Warren coming in and leading that second unit and being that that featured guy offensively, I think it could be something special. But in the long run, if you're a T.J. Warren fan, I don't think you're going to like Josh Jackson simply because he's going to take his job. Well, I'm fine with T.J. Warren settling into that to that bench role. That does seem his destiny. I have I have hopes Josh Jackson becomes similar to one of my all-time favorite players and sons, Sean Marion, because I, I love Sean Marion. So may, maybe I'll enjoy him. 
But yeah, I'm not. Devin Booker's not winning me over. I, I've watched. <laughs> I've, I've watched him too many times. It's it's going to take a, a pretty big. Uh, uh, road to Damascus conversion experience for me to become a, a Devin Booker uh, fan. He's fun. I mean, dude, I, I think I don't know, he's fun, but also I think I spelled it out for you last time we talked. I, I had him in fantasy in a keeper league the last two years. I got tired of watching him. I was like, this guy, he's killing this team. And everyone's all excited about how much he's scoring. But, you know, anyway. <laughs> when, when you're, when you're in 2019, and you're asked to be the focal point of an offense for a terrible team. There literally yeah. was nobody else that could could do anything in portions of the last two seasons. Of course, he's going to be inefficient because he's got to take every shot. I get now, I get the impression that even if he wasn't asked to carry the offense, he would still be playing the same way. Like I, I, I don't I, have any evidence that they're like, "Hey, Devin, please shoot 24 times tonight because you don't have it," and he still lets them fly. You, you obviously haven't met Earl Watson, then. I think that actually was the offensive okay. game plan in, in many uh, in many situations. And, uh, you know, I know that people say, well, they, they kind of stacked the deck for him to score 70. He's still one of six players in NBA history to score 70 or more points in a game. There's something special about that. I don't care how you feel about his defense or or how you feel about how he got to those 70 points. If you watch that and how and the amount of scoring he did in the second half of that game uh, and the fact that, I mean, he even kept them in that game. They, they should have been completely blown out uh, the way they were playing. I did. There's something special <laughs> about the kid, whether whether you guys like to watch him or not. A lot of national people don't. And I get it. And maybe it, it's simply I'm pinning my false hopes on this guy because there's nothing else to hope for. And if he isn't really a star, then, uh, then I'm looking at another 10 years wandering the desert with no hope, but you know, I, I choose, I choose to be positive for some reason. So no, I think it's, it's good for your mental health. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to bring up the 70 point game, but anyway, we got to get you out of here, Greg. Thanks so much for taking time. Uh, tell people where they can find and read your stuff. Yeah, you can find me at Espo on Twitter. I'm uh, overly active there, much to the dismay of my wife. Uh, you can also read me at sports360az.com. That's where uh, my primary uh, Suns columns are. I, from time to time, write for brightsideofthesuns.com, and you can hear me every week, uh, the Suns Solar Panel, wherever you choose to get your podcast, we are there and we, uh, we like to have some fun with it much like you guys, uh, do here on fast break breakfast. So, uh, so yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. I am glad to be, uh, now two time guest here and, uh, and always have fun with it. Yeah. If you see any clearance, Brandon Knight jerseys or jerseys, please let me know and I will pay you back. Do you, do you have a uh, twisted sense of uh, of jersey collection? Or I, I definitely like the, the the hipster Coachella style weird jersey. I also really liked Brandon Knight, and then he got to be terrible, and then so uh, yeah, uh, I would definitely take a a Suns Brandon Knight jersey if you ever stumbled across one in a clearance bin and or regular trash bin. Well, you would you would be a a huge fan of my personal obscure sons jersey collection sometimes i'll sometime we'll have to talk about that and i'll have to share some of the completely random uh 
jerseys that I have in, in that collection. If you got a Suns West person, I will, I'll pay top dollar. <laughs> I do not, but I might be able to find one for you. Yeah, I'd appreciate it. All right, Greg, thanks so much. Have a good one. You too. All right. Thanks to Greg. He's always fun to talk with. I don't hate the Suns. I think they might be my second favorite team in the history of my fanship of a NBA fan, but I don't really like their players very much. And I don't think Devin Booker's that good. I know he's still young. Maybe he will get to be very good, but whew, I think he's crazy overrated. But anyway, uh, if you do like the Suns, make sure you check out Greg's the solar panel podcast, a very good and fun podcast for Suns fans. If you like our podcast and want to support it even more, you can go to patreon.com slash fast break breakfast. We appreciate all of you guys who have been signing up over the last couple of weeks. We've gotten a little, a tiny surge of new patrons. I, I think mainly joining for, I mean, obviously the camaraderie and to support our show, but to get involved with our fantasy leagues including our international Stackhouse of Pancakes Negative Fantasy League. If that sounds like something you want to be in, make sure you go to patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. All right, you can like us on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at fastbreakbreak. You guys are the best. Thanks for listening. And remember, breakfast is the most important thing. Yeah, never apologize for being TNG. Fab break, break, man. You understand? Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.